Whenever we hear or read about other people, our empathy takes over. Us humans have the everlasting desire to think or even feel for others. So, whenever we see, hear or read about someone, our thoughts and feelings travel to a world of imagination. And we do it all the time, when imagining to be a superhero, a construction worker or even a guy on the street. But what if a person is somewhat out of the ordinary? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be them? Well, we certainly have. With this podcast series, we unravel stories of the sometimes fascinating, obsessed, inspiring, or outright strange folks that have wandered the edges of this earth. So, who this? Welcome to our podcast. Have you ever heard this coming from the table? That might be grandma calling. Join us today to find out what the heck that was about. Hello everyone, Joe here with Dane and Martin. And today we're going to talk about someone that slipped under our collective radar. But she was one of the late 19th century's most famous and notorious mystic, occultist, and mediums. We're talking about Helena Blavatsky. Uh, Helena Blavatsky, or I I'll call her Madame Blavatsky as she was known for most of her life, was born to an aristocratic family in the Russian Empire, modern-day Ukraine, in 1831. She arrived in the US, long story short, in 1873 after much, much travel, by the way, most of which is disputed. So some say that she had just arrived from New York after visiting the spiritual masters of Tibet, while others said she had an illegitimate child and was running away. She worked at a circus and was running away, or had already earned her living as a medium in Paris and was just trying her luck out in New York. Whatever the case is, and whatever the mysteries are, whatever she did from New York onward were pretty well recorded, and it turns out that she has quietly influenced a lot of Western culture, from yoga pants to the New Age movement to all the psychedelic music you've heard. <laughs> in what in what way did she influence that time? okay so here's the thing right she she had reported for many many years that she had mystical powers that she was a medium she had a connection to the spiritual world um and this started from a very early age so there's the story of when she was at home as a young girl she was writing on the back of a horse at one point in the fields, etc. And then she was uh, saved by a man that she said, like she was about to fall off the horse and this Indian man came to her and saved her by grabbing her right as she fell and placed her back on the horse. And there's other stories of like furniture following her around. So imagine this. So this would happen around the house, like a weird scratching noise. And then like things would be drawn to her because she had sort of like a spiritual zero gravity force field. I'm saying it in very my words, but trust me, she had better words for it. <laughs> I trust you, Joe. <laughs> I mean, probably. So she kind of created a cult of personality, and it started from the stories of her life and her journeys, right? So the story goes that she was married off at 16, 
uh, to this rich landowning man. Uh, and this lasted for three months. She tried to escape for a bit and then I arranged to her grandfather. They're like, no, you have to go back uh, to your husband. And uh, this journey back involved a ferry ride. But she ran away and went to Constantinople. So this is 1831. It's not Istanbul yet. And then from there, she kind of got involved with some mystics of unknown origin. And then she decided to travel the world. So she had this, like, she tells that she had this, you know, wanderlust about her. Mm. And then she went to Egypt and then to Jordan and Israel and Saudi Arabia. And then she went to India and then she went back to Paris or not back to Paris. She went to Paris mm -hmm. and then London and then Germany and then all over the world practicing the mystical arts. And yeah. She came from a wealthy family, right? She so came she from had a relatively wealthy, wealthy that, family. That's what I was going to ask because I was like, how is she doing this? But the thing is, that only mattered at the very beginning. But I think once she started traveling the world, she kind of met people and she convinced them of her abilities. According to her, because a lot of the trips that she embarked on are like hotly debated by historians, I guess, mm. or just whatever academic is interested in this topic because she wrote books later in life back in New York mm. and that like a lot of them had more scrutiny to them. Uh, but for example, we do know that she went to Jordan in sometime in the 50s, 1850s, because she met a writer there who also collaborated on a lot of her stories. Um, but this is the whole thing of it. Like we can go into like each specific country and the magical stuff she did, but that's not really the crucial bit here because the crucial bit is how she met two masters of spiritual Buddhism in Tibet and then how from there she went to New York City at the right time to kind of tap into a dying Christianity and convince a bunch of Westerners that spiritualism was the way and today she's literally, she's known as like the grandmother of the New Age movement and like one of the key figures that introduced Eastern religion to like American and European consciousnesses. Ooh. So she's got, a, for, for someone that like had a lot of tall tales, she made a huge kind of secret impact on the world. No, what, what, I, what I'm surprised about this is, well, is um, a lone woman traveling in the 19th century is quite something that was quite extraordinary but what what i'm just wondering yeah because he traveled so many places how does she actually communicate with people because everyone speaks different languages that's true was it sort of a spiritual connection as yet i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't know how that how that looked like i think she met a lot of rich expats <laughs> that's that's a lot of it because when, when you look through the stories of like each location visited like there's always a mention of a mystic or a journalist or an artist and they're usually french or english names you know mm. so just like other rich aristocrats just going about the world and then you have this proto hippie i want to call her i don't want to sound insulting but that's how i see it and then she was like let's chill real hard <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one thing I would like to, and I, Joe, I don't know if you have any idea of kind of what were the steps taken to verify or disregard her story. Because she says she's been to these places. She's mm -hmm. the one saying she's been to these places. What kind of evidence would the people have been looking at to say, because it couldn't be her 
her travel log, right? Or or her plane ticket or her boat ticket or, you know, what would they have had to have used in that time to, to verify that anybody said they went anywhere in the world? Why not just take her word for it? And, and also why yeah. disbelieve her? So a lot of this comes from her time in New York, right? Because there's like a bunch of mystery. And then when she arrives in, in the US, in the East Coast, like suddenly this is when she gets really popular, right? Because she's introduced it to the American audience and like people are writing stories. And he- here's a quote, right? Okay, so in 1874, she ended up in Chittenden, Vermont, in the thick of what was known as the epidemic of raps. So this, because remember earlier I said that like she had this power to attract the supernatural and the spirits and etc. So there were stories of these sensational events where spirits were making rapping sounds on tables and walls, allegedly trying to communicate with the living. And the story goes... On her arrival, the spirits became more spectacular than ever before. So like her presence, like just it kind of raised the stories. Like she, I don't know what it was about her. Maybe it was like her speaking abilities or just maybe, I don't know, maybe she actually had, you know, a connection to the spiritual that people were like tuning into. But out of nowhere, like she became like a celebrity. Um, And along with that came a bunch of people, especially, you know, the rationalists and even the more conservative sure. Christians who were like, what are all these stories? Did she actually go to Tibet to speak to two spiritualists but and did, become did, a Buddhist? Did, did, and- did other people hear it because she was there? What was the story? So it was it was not only hear, her hearing yeah. these sounds, but other people heard those yeah, sounds. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I think how it goes is that there was, this already existed, kind of like stories of people trying to speak to the spirits. And she went... And the spirits allegedly went wild. So then there was it, it like made its way into newspapers from like people talking about it, et cetera, and so forth. So there are no, people no. like at like the local level, let's say like, mm. you know, being like, she really did this. It was amazing. Yeah. And you have all that skepticism as a result of that. And we, we don't really, because it's most of her word, a lot of her travels, like mm. People naturally started to doubt it, I think. Yeah. And so she became famous from that point onwards. Yeah. She, especially after that point, she, she started attracting socialites and like left leaning people and like people who were done with the system but had that level of wealth. So she became like a celebrity socialite and a medium in New York. Yeah. And I guess if, if, if you're a rationalist and you don't believe in this, this sort of, spirituality or or anything having to do with spiritual world if somebody tells you that this is what they can do and then tell you that they've gone to these other places you're probably going to question not just the fact that they're they're having these powers but the fact that you say you did anything that you said you did unless you can find verifiable proof of these things and i I guess some of it was word of mouth but i don't know how many how many like women <laughs> were were a part of her crew that was was able to verify? Because I, I realize you know in the stories there's a lot of like she was with this this guy or these or these two men or like like it seems like she was a a woman navigating the world of men and the way why they might believe in male spiritual leaders again. You, you said in the beginning Christianity of the of the time was what people were were kind of fed up with and that was a highly you know was highly run by men and all, almost anybody who's going to believe any sort of spirituality 
is going to believe it because it was said or done mm. by, by men. So maybe she had that against her. She had the, the Eastern mysticism against her. Uh, and she probably had other things going against her in, in terms of time and place, I think. Where does that story go after that? Well, so she, she went to visit these people and what? Well, no, they came to visit her. Oh, they came to Even visit better. her. She was very popular uh, to the point where she she's actually the co-founder of the Theosophic uh, Association. And she's really one of the propellers for uh, Theosophy, which is the occult movement that came out of this time that kind of brought back a divine wisdom into spirituality. So it, it focuses on an ability into the mystical of like having this perception of what is in between the lines, let's say, in the cracks of reality. Uh, it's about esoteric doctrine, which is kind of understanding the deeper meaning in, in multiple religious texts. So like it's, it's the assumption that there is meaning hidden and we're going to find it. And of the connection between mind, spirit, and the universe. So this is especially where, you know, she kind of influences the new age movement of we are one and we are all connected by this it's not really an entity but just a fabric or something you know just so like one pan pantheistic what i read is that it's considered a pantheistic philosophical religious system okay what they were trying to build yeah. i have a called so pantheistic just means monism. from from different uh so god is within everything it's pantheistic and I think they they lend from a lot of different uh, religions, right? Well, yeah. that's oh, like, that's different. Yeah. We're both right. Because pantheistic is about finding, equalizing all the, all the different religions and getting the meaning from all of them. But when I said monism, I, I was speaking about the idea that everything is one. So they're very connected ideas, but they're two different things that both are true for her. And pantheism... Pantheism considers like everything in the collection, the sum of all, the whole parts, the total of the sum of the whole part, that's God. Yeah. Everything that ever exists and ever will exist and ever has existed, mm -hmm. that is God. That, that's, that's the sum total that's equal to God. Um, to say, I don't know if that definitely means then she was calling all of these things God. No. But she was talking about a spirit that connects everything. Yeah. Uh, and that's a different, more of a weaving understanding that, that you are separate, but there's something that weaves us together. Yeah. So, so what I don't understand, because I, so it's clearly a mix of theology and philosophical thought. How does that work in practice? Like, where's the philosophical part of it? This is where Buddhism comes in, where she kind of, in her journeys, she, I don't want to say borrowed, but she, I think she kind of took with her, like they left an impression of her, a lot of Buddhist teachings, and she kind of like influenced this like rationality of spirit and like the circular nature of it that she kind of took and then like introduced into the West. And then she got this idea of like, we are all one guys because everything is connected. And I, and I think 
this is just my my, my kind of assessment of the difference between what she's doing and, and, and what theology is doing. You see, you're talking about philosophy as you understand it in the Western sense. But you remember you have different philosophies. You have Eastern philosophies. And she's probably using that type of mm. philosophical mindset of, of, of thinking about God and calling it a philosophy. And then and then and then using that to talk about what, what, what she sees as transcendent. The second thing is I think she's trying to set up a, di, uh, a dichotomy between theologic or theologic and the, theosophic, which is a difference in terms of it's a love for all things that is transcendent. Instead of trying to logicize, which is what the institutional Christianity was trying to do, try, trying to use logic and institutionalism to, to, to speak about God. Well, she's talking about, we're not going to talk about theologic. We're not going to try to just logicize God. But it's a soft, a soft in, in, in the terms of what the early philosophers were, which had the love of wisdom, was trying to court wisdom. She's trying to court the divine and have a love for this understanding of spirituality and not just go into the heady and trying to, 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 to mm. create systems out of it. Well, you were already talking about the fact that she was, she was questioned at this moment that she became famous. Yes. Were people not believing her? I think, yes. I mean, obviously, <laughs> a lot of people were not believing her. And she kind of spent the later days of her life um, writing a lot of books, a lot of texts, uh, many of which were famous in the time, um, and dealing with accusations of fraud and dealing with accusations of fraud from various institutions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of academics, a lot of journalists, a lot of people in the establishment, both scientific and religious, were just saying, please don't listen to this lady. And yet, I think she, in a way for herself, in her own time frame, won that battle. Because here's the thing, she, she did have many crazy ideas that people like who were like embedded in rationality, let's say, wanted to fight. So for example, she started saying that all wisdom and everything that we know originated in India, which is not a crazy thing to say, but in the context of the British Empire in the 1880s, especially while she was in London, they really didn't enjoy that. Um, and she, she spent a lot of her time in India, also at traveling back and forth. And between 1879 and 1885, Theosophy, like what she was peddling, was really popular. It became popular in India to the annoyance of many Christian missionaries and especially the ruling British. Because for one thing, it, and this is why I think it, it really kind of carries on through today, because it was like tapping into, I think, the issue that many people had with modern society, which was spiritualism was dying out. And there was a more, in her words as well, a scientific spirit to the world. And people were looking for meaning and were like craving a spiritual connection where the industrialized world was lacking inherently because it was scientifically driven. Um, so for example, in her lifetime was Darwinism was becoming a thing. Um, I also read that especially in the US, the public wasn't happy with the idea that Christianity was about punishment and it and eternal damnation. <laughs> so they were just trying to look for a groovier way out of that. Mm. And this kind of dissatisfaction with the modern world came up again and again, even after her death. So if we look at the 70s, where the New Age movement, you know, really takes hold, 
like you see again the ideas that she was already going for in the 1870s of we are all connected there is something more to life you know and i it's it's in these moments of like let's say scientific nihilism that her ideas really catch on and she won i think in the end mm-hmm. to her naysayers wasn't it also at the time that nietzsche was talking about the fact that god God is, is dead. dead. Getting at is uh, she was actually yeah. tapping into in, into the very thing that Nietzsche was already talking about, namely something is happening in society, something is changing in society, and she was tapping in, into something that people were actually missing in their lives. They'll, it didn't feel right for a lot of people that society became more rationalized, more industrialized, and she actually tapped into that, namely the lack of of a spiritual mindedness yeah but in the time Nietzsche was observing that it it was the the time period was making it impossible for god to exist in terms of in the backdrop of the enlightenment and there's these fragmentations of of religion and people were trying to outlogicize those of the enlightenment in terms of spirituality and i and i think in that in that sense is what she was operating in, trying to, we can't outlogicize them, um, but we can outmystify them and out and out love them, which is Sophia, going back to the idea of Sophia, uh, which yeah. means wisdom. Yeah, for sure. One of her quotes is, I'm an old Buddhist pilgrim wandering about the world to teach the only true religion, which is truth. So she was saying, in this kind of like world where where no objective truth, she was essentially giving people the out of saying there is one, and it's hidden everywhere, and we'll find it. And it was really providing a lot of hope, I think, to many people. And in that sense, she really, really was and aspired to be a philosopher, right? Because that, in essence, is what is what philosophers are trying to to do or many of yeah. them and i think nietzsche very much said the same thing the only difference is that she believed that she was magic right she believed in what she was saying she i don't know if she was trying to like convince herself by logic <laughs> she believed what she was saying and she was like and i'm going to prove it in the terms of the powers that i have isn't also pretty arrogant what do you what do you feel joe I mean, saying that you're, that you're right. Yes, but somehow it's not arrogant because she kind of shares in the truth with everyone. So I think it's like just as, it's kind of like, I think from her perspective, the arrogance is like, imagine you're in a desert, right? And like you found the oasis and then you're like, hey, everyone, I found this oasis. I can see it. It's right there. I found it. So she's like the special person, obviously, but she's the special person that kind of leads everyone to this happy place. Right. So it's arrogant in that she's special, but at the same time, she believes that she's giving people the key to happiness or to truth and a deeper understanding. And she was giving credit. It didn't just descend from above. She was giving credit to the fact that she, she was in contact with other yeah. spiritual people and so because of her contact with them is what that's why she's she's happened upon the truth so what happened so she wrote many books and died peacefully that's really how it goes so she died in 1891 and all i can do is share her last words 
which were reportedly, Keep the link unbroken. Do not let my last incarnation be a failure. I mean, it is a bit arrogant. Because it is assuming that she's going straight to Nirvana. Because she says this is my last incarnation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's reached, in her eyes, Mm self-actualization. She's done. Right. (laughs) She doesn't have to do much But she seemed very attached to her legacy. So I don't know if you can go to Nirvana when you're attached to what Yes, that's actually very true. Because if you were to ask a Buddhist, she's not doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. They would say, you're, you've, whatever happens to your legacy happens. It's not, it's not up to you. So I'm, I'm just curious, Joe. What's, what's, your, what's your takeaway from, from all of this? I, the, thing I, the reason I find this story so fascinating is that this is, this is someone that embarked on a journey and in that journey, and I, I do think that despite all of the, you know, mysticism and stories and things that she's told are like too much to share right now in a span of 20 minutes, some of it is true. Like, I think she did go and explore and journey and discover new things. And maybe she didn't know where she was going when she was just running away from, you know, a marriage with someone 20 years her elder but she definitely found something along the way and made something larger than life out of it so i think for me it's even if you don't know where you're going keep at it because you will find something you know what keeps us connected today the internet Find us wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time for another interesting story.